From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up. I presents Jordan Brickman. He's back on the show, everybody. Welcome, Jordan, back to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Showing. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Um, there, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of balls in the air. Um, and we're going to start with the Knicks, because uh, we haven't talked about the Knicks in forever. And you... Uh, I learned from you early in the season that uh, sometimes there's something called the middle, and that's where the Knicks are. They are in the middle. Um, and with this Knicks team, you kind of don't know what you're going to get. They're in the sixth spot right now, tied with the Nets, who you, you would think are going to fall. So the, the Knicks will move up to five at some point here. They enter this difficult stretch. You were in the building the other night when they absolutely demolished the Pelicans, and it led to... Folks wanting uh, Derrick Rose back on the court, um, you know, for what could be his last stand if he goes for a, uh, a uh, uh, some kind of buyout, which I don't think he'll do. It, it, it doesn't seem that way, but you never know. Um, it just was, it, it looked like kind of one all happy universe against the Pelicans. And yes, they're the Pelicans, but this week could also be the week where the Knicks fall back to the middle. So that's that, that's that, that's my opening preamble of sorts about the Knicks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the schedule is tough. They play the ball, they play the Celtics twice in six days. Uh, it's not the best team in in the East, and probably my pick for the title right now is, is, is the Celtics. So they play them twice. Now they they have no Jalen Brown tonight to the Celtics, so that's that's a break for the Knicks. But I'm more worried about the game against the Nets and the Heat because those are two teams they're going to be competing against for the that play a playoff spot. So really, really important week this week. They're obviously really healthy right now. So, so the, everyone's happy. Five straight undefeated in the Josh Hart era. Can't complain. <laughs> uh, perfect segue right into Josh Hart. Could this, I mean, this is, this is literally straight out of central casting in terms of a guy for a uh, Tibbs team. Plays yeah, hard I, every night. Really. Gives you defense. Um, you know, just the hustle. I mean, this was like he and uh, Brunson coming back together was like perfection. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, Tibbs, there's a story that uh, when Tibbs was met with the, the Wolves, uh, when Hart was in the draft, that he was throwing, that was basically a hissy fit trying to get Hart drafted to the Wolves, and obviously that's not what happened. So Tibbs has loved this guy forever. He's just a great fit for the team. He's, he's an incredible hustle player. The, the, some of the plays he made on Friday against the Wizards in the fourth quarter with the game on the line, he, he made, but they, uh, in one particular KP had a block on, on Randall and somehow Hart came from across the other end of the court and got the, got the, the deflection and kept, kept the, the, the possession alive. Really just an incredible fit for the team. You're replacing Deuce's minutes with him. It's a major upgrade. Deuce is offering you nothing offensively. Obviously, he's a, a solid defender and a good hustle guy, but Hart is, is the, the top end of that kind of player. He's shooting 60-plus percent from three. That's not going to last. We know he's not. He hasn't been that strong of a shooter this year. Hopefully, the confidence from Tibbs and Brunson and the team and the garden, which he seems to love to play at, will help him feel confident to keep shooting because he has a history of shooting at least league average. If he's shooting league average, he's a really nice asset for the team. And another defender to throw at a team like the Celtics uh, who have really valuable high-end wings that you need to be able to throw multiple bodies at. So tonight we'll see him against Tatum. Uh, I'm sure Hart will guard him. I'm sure Grimes will guard him, maybe even RJ a little bit. Um, so he's just another guy to throw out there, and it makes the Knicks really deep. And it really allows the, the star players, the Knicks, to do 
what they need him to do, which is score the ball at a high level and to run the offense for a guy like Brunson. So, so Hart's just a, a fit in seamlessly. I hope they can come to terms with him in the offseason and re-sign him for another two, three years. Same. Uh, Jordan Brickman with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, RJ heated up a little bit, but it was the Pelicans without Zion. Is this a fluke? Where's RJ's head at? Are you ha- like like where? This is a really interesting stretch, where everybody's been like, "What's up with RJ Barrett? He's not closing quickly. He's closing. Other guys are closing, and then RJ gives you a really solid performance against a mediocre team." Okay, so was it RJ or was it the mediocre team? I think it was kind of a combination. Now RJ came out in, that, in the game against Pelicans and immediately hit that that pretty nice move, step yeah. mid-range shot to open up the game, really establish the tone there for him that he was going to be looking for a shot and be aggressive. He also had four assists in the first quarter, which is not something we've been seeing from him a lot. He's been really tunnel vision recently, so to see him look to pass a little bit more, it seems like at times he's like, I'm going to pass in this possession or I'm going to drive on this possession. You'd like to see it to be a little more fluid out there with him. Um, He's been frustrating, you know, the, for, from, from my perspective. His offense, his role in the offense is not what it was last year when we saw him flourish. You know, at the end of the season in particular, he was the main uh, scorer on the team. With when, when Randall went out, particularly the last, like, 10 games or so, he was bringing the ball to the floor a lot. He was able to do whatever he wanted in the offense. And now he's, at best, the third option out there with Brunson and Randall. And a lot of times that means spawn-up jumpers and attacking closeouts. And that's just not what he's best at. He's got an inconsistent three-point shot. There's nights where it goes in, like it did against the Pelicans. And there's nights where it doesn't go in, which has happened a lot this year. And sometimes it doesn't go in badly, like air balls or, you know, just barely skin with the rim type of thing. So it's an adjustment for him that he has to be able to figure out how to do. Uh, that's the weak spot for the Knicks, in my opinion, when you look at them compared to the elite teams in, in the East and, and in the NBA in general, they have two. I know Brunson didn't make the All Star team, but you know he's an All Star level player. Yep. Randall is now is now a two time All Star in the last three years. He's a bona fide All Star level player. You got two All Stars, and their third best player, in my opinion, is not close to making an All Star team. And RJ, and that's where the and, that, and it's at a very pivotal position too. And his defense has also really fallen off, in my opinion. He's not. As, he has not improved his, his, his uh, fleet of footness from a defensive lateral uh, ability. I think he's gotten worse there because I think he's bulked up a bit, which has slowed his, his foot speed down. He gets lost defensively at times. He's also just not really big enough at that position to guard a lot of the guys that he has to guard. Um, and he doesn't have the effort defensively that I'd, I'd like to see for him. So that's why I think we're seeing him play less minutes in the fourth quarter because you got guys like IQ who have really improved defensively, particularly in in man-to-man, uh, Josh Hart, Grimes are also good individual defenders. So, you know, they're smaller than RJ, but they, they really put their all in defensively and they you know how to use their body uh, a little bit more than, than a guy like RJ does, which someone like Tibbs is going to recognize, and that's why Tibbs has been playing RJ less and less in the fourth quarter. Now, I'd like to see RJ take over more when he's with the second unit. That's his time to play the, the role he played last year at the end of the season when he really flourished and was putting up 30 points a game regularly. Um, I'd like to see him be a little more uh, insertive in those in those moments. But when Brunson and Randall are out there, he doesn't have a strong role in the offense that fits his strengths. So that's gonna, it's going to be interesting to see how that continues to develop. In the, in the playoffs, I can see teams leaving him 
and he's going to have to hit that jump shot, and sometimes he will, but I predict more times than not he will not hit the shot uh, that's wide open that they're going to give him, and that's going to be, that's going to be a pain point. So we'll, we'll see how it continues to develop, but guys like Grimes, IQ, and Harden hitting his jump shot are going to add the things that that, that, that Knicks closing lineup will need that RJ's not going to do as consistently as those guys. And the other thing, too, is there's times that RJ shoots, but he doesn't shoot, and then he gets lost in, like, midair. And that's just... It, it's just a sign of, of lack of confidence from, from, from my standpoint. When you jump and you don't know what you're doing when you're jumping, that's just not helpful for anybody involved. You touched on Randall there uh, on um, on uh, y- 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 yeah sorry you touched on Randall there. Are you c- confident that this is going to be for all eighty two and into the playoffs, and that we won't see what happened during the Hawks uh, series and then all last year where where he regressed because this has been a step up. Yet he said he was tired of coming out of you know All Star weekend. I can understand that. There's a lot going on. Um, but are there enough pieces now around Julius where he can be okay and get the rest he needs? Because that's going to be crucial in some of these games. Yeah, well, I don't know if Tibbs believes in rest. Uh, <laughs> no. You know, even against the Pelicans, they're up 30 with five minutes left and Jalen Brunson's checking in. I saw that. I'm like, and what I'm, are you doing? It's just like, why? And then, you know, he only played one minute and they sat him down. It's like, why did we need to do that? I know some people think it's it's... Uh, you know, it's overblown that 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 Tibbs is doing this, but it's just it's just unnecessary. It's risking injury, even if it's not about load management at that point. You are risking injury for that being out there in a meaningless spot in the game. Nevertheless, I don't think he's going to get much rest. Uh, the only world he gets rest is if they clinch and there's like you know a game or two left, and there's literally no literally no value in it. So maybe you sit him for a game uh, to to rest before the playoffs. But um, as far I don't think we're going to see the complete Randall implosion. Like I'm confident that we're not going to see a a Hawks series-level implosion from Randall uh, this year because Brunson just has taken a lot of that offensively. Yeah. Brunson is the ball handler. Brunson is running point. That's not to say we're not going to have moments, potentially extended moments of frustration with Randall, but I don't think it's going to be to the same level where it looks like you just mentioned jumping in the air and passing or shooting or not knowing what to do, which happens a lot in the, in the Hawks series. I don't think it's going to be that level consistently um, of, of, of floor play from him. But the defense in the playoffs is very different. These guys are honed in on you. You know, they're going to – Randall is very good at making tough shots. The Hawks only gave him tough shots in that series a couple of years ago. So, you know, tough shot percentage is always going to be lower than your, than your open looks. But there's enough offensive talent on this team, and Jalen Brunson has a lot of um, there's a lot of volume around him, and the defense is going to be really focused on him as well. That it should open things up for him to a level that it's not as disastrous as it was against Atlanta. I still think you know you play a team like the Bucks, they put Giannis on him, it's going to be hard for him to get off during a lot of those games. But the three point shooting has gone up the league average on a very high volume, uh, which is great. The, the Tibbs just had a quote talking about how the Knicks that was a by game plan to have him shoot more threes because the team was not shooting enough threes. They'll make Randall shoot more of them, and it has obviously worked to this point. It's all about the three-point shot for him. If that shot's going in, it opens up the rest of the game. For him, you can't be doubling him on a three-point line. Um, it can open up his, his mid-range jab step, step back. So that, that's going to be the key for him is that three-point shot come playoff time, and you know that's the way to hit three-point shots is to have, have your legs under you. So if he, if he is tired at that point in the season, 
we'll, we'll, we'll see how it's affecting his jump shot. But I don't think it's, the offensive load is just not as high on him right now as it was in, in the, that 2020-2021 season because you have other guys that can do things. Um, not even just Brunson, but IQ is scoring in the double digits a game consistently now, unlike he was back then. Mitch uh, is back. Hard is adding offense. You know, Grimes has been struggling a bit. Hopefully he can find his rhythm. You know, there's just more, more mouths to, to, to help out. Uh, that are more mature and will be more ready for the moment when, when that time comes. So um, I believe he's, he's, he's a really good player. I don't think we'll see that implosion that he had. Uh, again, he's, he's still going to frustrate us probably multiple times a game, but I think he'll also have his really nice moments as well. Yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, those pieces, oh, man, if there was a stat for most times gone to the floor, I think Mitchell Robinson might win it. <laughs> the dude just every, every it's like every sequence he's back, he's somehow ending up on the floor. If he cannot do that, stay healthy and uh, not get in foul trouble, I think this team and he sorry sorry I I, I I think he is a key piece for this team down the stretch. Healthy now, if they can load manage him, and I can't even believe my mouth that I'm saying that sentence. But if they can. Use him properly with iHeart's development and make that all work. I think that actually could be a big benefit for the Knicks for him uh, uh, for him staying out of foul trouble. Yeah, for sure, for sure. He definitely falls on the floor a lot. I think Brunson probably falls on the floor even a little bit more than Mitch, but Mitch is probably the leader in the league for centers uh, on the ground. Um, but yeah, he, he, he's... I, I think the net rating for the Knicks is like plus 10 with him out there. Um, they really felt his loss, particularly in the beginning when he was out, uh, when they were when iHeart was starting to get a little more comfortable out there. Uh, and he's, To your point, he's really developed since, since Mitch sat out and has that actually added some valuable minutes to the team. That could be frustrating to start the year. He, he's, he's needed. He's, he's the, be, the best offensive rebounder specifically in the NBA. That's getting you another two to four extra shots slash possessions per game, and that's valuable. That's difference makers when it comes to his close games. So they need him out there in that respect. Um, you know, so there's some, they need to protect the paint against the elite in the East. You got guys like Embiid. You got guys like Giannis. You got elite uh, guys that can put pressure on the rim, like even Donovan Mitchell. Uh, then there's Evan Mobley. You know, there's a lot of guys that they can match up against and plus all the Celtics players that can get to the rim as well. So um, they're going to need him out there. What I What is concerning for me, though, is, you know, Tiz does kind of been underrated this year with how he's, the, the job he's done. I don't think anyone expects the Knicks to be this good yeah. right now. Um, their over-under was around 500. We'll see how they finish the season. They're, they're pacing to, to well, probably eight to ten games be over that, that, that mark. Um, so, so Tibbs deserves credit for that. He's always been a great regular season coach, though. Come playoff time, Tibbs has not experimented at all with going small this year. And Josh Hart, I was hoping when they got Josh Hart that he could maybe play the four uh, as, a, as, a, as a small lineup with Randolph the five because he's a great rebounder. Now, obviously, he's not guarding any fours out there, but he's a great rebounder, can help in that respect. Randolph's also a very good rebounder. And in the, in the playoffs, they're going to need to go small at times. We saw this against the Hawks. The best teams go small. We saw with the Celtics going Grant Williams at center at times in the finals last year. You know, a lot of these teams can go small. I bet the Cavs will do it with Mobley at the center. Um, and that could be who the Knicks match up against in the, in the first round is, is, is the, are the Cavs. And 
you know, it's going to be hard for, for, for Randall to guard, or excuse me, Mitch to guard some of these more agile teams out there that are on the perimeter. So I would like to see Tibbs do that a bit more. But as for Mitch, you know, his, his effort can be inconsistent. He's one of the most obvious players in terms of uh, is he giving effort today or not in the league. And when he gives effort, he usually puts up some pretty darn good numbers out there. But uh, hopefully come playoff time, he's doing that consistently. And he had a great game against the Pelicans. He, he had double-double. A lot of offensive rebounds, kept balls alive. So, so you know, loving what I'm seeing from his progression this year. And he's been pretty good with the fouls. He's, he's gotten better there. The free throws, not so much, but he's gotten better with the fouls. Jordan Brickman with us here on Teeing It Up. Uh, now to the NBA at large. The East is pretty much, in my mind, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. Are you of any other mindset of anybody that can, can, can creep up in there? I, I would Philly. I don't know if I would include them. I mean, they're they're close. I just kind of both Embiid and Harden have history of not showing up come playoff time. I think they're a step below the Celtics and the Bucks. Um, I think that that Doc Rivers has a tendency to be Tibbs-like in that he's really rigid in his opinion and his strategy and won't make adjustments at times. And Blake Griffin even called him out for that. Yeah, uh, not that long ago. So I have Philly a, a, a step below the Celtics and the Bucks, but to me it's those two teams. Um, the Cavs are interesting. The Cavs are a team that I'd love to see the Knicks, for the Knicks to play anyone in the play in the playoffs. Uh, of the top four teams, the Cavs would be the one that I'd like to see them play against. But they got a lot of firepower. Mitchell's a bona fide playoff performer. They're really young and Garland and Mobley and uh, and you know Jared Allen is a great defender. So. They could be an interesting team come playoff time, but I don't think they'll have the chops to, to beat the, those top two teams. Yeah, I think there may be one or two pieces away um, from making a run. The West, meanwhile, I got no idea who's going to come out of the West because of the trades of Phoenix and the Lakers. Now, I don't think the Lakers can actually make it to the conference finals or the NBA finals. Are, are you in agreement with me on that? Yeah, and I think LeBron got hurt yesterday, and uh, his foot's been bothering him. So uh, it's going to be an uphill battle for for them. But I really like I really like the trades they made. Yeah, they're great trades. But uh, I think more for next year than this year. Now Phoenix, meanwhile, you add Durant to that. That's a whole nother story. Right now, it's Milwaukee. Sorry, it's uh, Denver by five and a half over Memphis, and then uh, two and a half back is Sacramento, and then ten games out of first in the four slot right now are the Phoenix Suns. But we have not seen the full Phoenix Suns yet. Um, this is going to be very interesting. That's a trade for the finals. Period. End of story. Win now. Yeah, for sure. You know, I look at the West, and I say to myself, I say, okay, well, the Lakers are probably too far behind, and there's too much of a, a step up here to, for them to really make a long run. Um, you know, I'm not believing the Kings to be a title team or anything like that. Um, and there's the Warriors. You can't count the Warriors out ever. They are always going to be a title team as long as they're healthy, which they have not been this year, but they are slated to be come playoff time. You got the Grizzlies, in my opinion, they don't have enough shooting uh, on that team around John Morant. Dylan Brooks is a, is a non-shooter at this point. Um, you know, Jaron Jackson's great. Desmond Bain is great, but I think they're missing one more piece there, so I don't think that they are a title contender, in my opinion. The Nuggets, I think that it's really hard, and this goes back to the Sixers a little bit, I think it's really hard to win in the NBA at the highest level 
when your center is your best player. It's just yeah. it's, it's a guard perimeter league. Obviously, Jokic can bring the ball to the floor. He can he can make shots from out there. But I think it's, at the end of the game, they're going to need guys like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. to make shots. And those guys are just not as good as the other shot makers in the league at that position. So I think the Nuggets, to me, are also not uh, a team that's going to that's going to win the championship this year. So so who does that leave? That leaves the Suns. I think the Suns definitely have the ability to to do that. They're, they just have no depth. Um, <laughs> it's four true. players, one of them being Aiton, uh, whose effort level, to, and if he even cares about basketball, totally inconsistent. Aiton is a guy that when he came to the league, he said his goal was to get a second contract. He just got that in the offseason, so now what's his motivation to play? He's rich beyond his wildest imagination. Does he really care about basketball moving forward? Um, what does it look like with, with, with him in the playoffs after he got kind of played off the floor, ditched in their elimination game last year? And they have no depth behind the rest of the team, behind KD, behind Booker, behind Chris Paul. Chris Paul has a history of not being able to make it through a playoff. You know, he's, he's, he's got a lot of injuries in the postseason throughout his career. It's, a, you know, it's hard for anybody, but he's, I think, one of the reasons that happens to him. A, he's a little bit older now. And B, he's just not a physical specimen. He's just kind of like, he's, he's just a, he's six foot, six foot one, you know, highly, highly coordinated uh, incredible player, but he's not a LeBron James where this guy's a specimen out there. So when the playoffs get a little bit more dirt, uh, physical and they're going to beat up on him and they want to wear him down, he wears down. And can he sustain his play for the entire postseason? That's a big question because once he's out, it's a lot of pressure on Jeff Booker and Kevin Durant and Aiden to, to, to do what they need to do to, to advance. So, um, We'll see. The West, to me, is completely wide open. I think other than the Suns and the Warriors, all of those teams will lose to whoever comes out of the East. Interesting. That brings me to the Mavericks. Because I think they are the team, not that anybody's forgotten about them. They're not a sleeper team when you have Luka. But I wonder if that's the team sitting there. If it's not the Warriors and if it's not the Kings... They are the Mavs just sitting there waiting? Not in my opinion. Uh, they're one and three in the Kyrie era. They have no defense on mm. that team. They traded their best defender in the Kyrie trade, yeah, Dorian Finney Smith. Yeah. So they have, they have, you know, Kino, of course, so, you know, he'll take on everybody defensively. But <laughs> outside of him, they, you know, Luca and Kyrie are terrible defenders. So when you have them at the one and two, especially in a conference that has a lot of guards that are high level. Like, those two guys against John Moran have, John's going to go crazy against those guys. Um, against the Steph Curry's back in there playing against Steph, um, they're just going to get totally roasted by, by these high-end guards in the league. And I talked about how, like, the Nuggets are, you know, going to rely on Jamal Murray and these guys to, to win games. Jamal Murray's also going to cook those, cook those guys. So um, I just think defensively they don't have enough chops. Christian Wood is, is a good offensive player, not a defender. Just across the whole, whole board, they're going to have to outscore everybody, and they're not a generational offensive team where they're going to be able to do that uh, like the like the old Suns were or like the Warriors were, but the Warriors also had defense behind them. So I just think that they're they're not they're not going to do do too much in playoff time. By the way, one team I did not mention is the Clippers. Um, I'm still not a believer in them long-term. Uh, the Westbrook signing, I mean, I guess he'll – He'll add some rim pressure to the team. Obviously, he's had the trouble. He's had trouble with the aging process in the NBA. <laughs> but another team that maybe probably can't stay healthy or going to have trouble staying healthy through the playoffs. 
Kawhi's been really good this year, but can he stay healthy through the whole playoffs? I just don't think they have the talent to, to win at the, at the highest level come, come playoff time. But I'm saying that about a lot of the teams in the West. So someone is going to be the one that comes out of the West. I just think that whenever they run up against the East, the East is going to take them out. Someone will. Yeah, and it's, it's bizarre that... Who knows what will happen here, but it's been really interesting. I, I don't know what Russell Westbrook's long-term future is, um, but, man, his trips to... His trip to L.A. did not do him good um, in terms of his on-court performance. And B, yeah. the, the, the theme of this podcast, top to bottom, has been playoff intensity in the playoffs. It's just a different deal. It's a, different, it's a whole different animal. And I, and, I think that, I, and I think that's something great for the folks out there to listen, uh, 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 to watch out for, for those who are listening out there. All right, Jordan Brickman, the final thing with you, UFC 285 this weekend and the return of somebody. Oh, baby, we're excited for this one, Jeremy. Uh, it's the return of the GOAT, John Jones. Um, he hasn't fought in three years. Last fight fought was uh, February 2020, right before the pandemic, uh, in a fight that he probably should have lost, but the judges gave him a, a, a split decision win and he's making his return he's moving up to a new weight class he's a he is the light heavy former light heavyweight champion never been defeated other than by a drug test at 205 uh and is now moving up to to fight a heavyweight which is you can be as heavy as 265 pounds that weight class that's a big jump from a from a weight uh a weight class standpoint he's fighting against a guy Cyril Gaon who's only lost one fight in his entire life um he was undefeated in Muay Thai and he's only lost one fight in, in MMA which was uh, last year against Francis Ngannou, who is no longer in the sport, was the heavyweight champion, and famously left the UFC because the UFC were not treating their fighters fairly. They were, he, Francis Ngannou just had a tangent on him, that I want health care for the fighters, I want a fighter to be an advocate on the board, um, I want, I want high, higher pay for the fighters, and amongst other things, and the UFC said, that is not part of our business model, and Francis said, okay, then I'm going to leave, leave the company. He did. The heavyweight title was vacated. In comes John Jones to move up. Something he's been teasing for 10 years. Uh, in 2013 was, was the first time he mentioned he was going to move up to heavyweight. 10 years later, he's finally doing it. He has a chance to solidify himself as the undisputed GOAT of the sport. In my opinion, he already has that title. Um, but he's making his return three years later. He took time. He had 25-plus pounds or so to his frame. And he's going to be going head-to-head against uh, a very tough opponent, Cyril Gaon from Petty France. Uh, and, and it should be it should be a great fight. The card below it is also amazing. You have a, a women's title fight, Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grasso. Valentina is on path to be maybe the, the, the greatest fe- women's female fighter of all time. She's probably number two right now to Amanda Nunez. Um, and that should be, uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how competitive that is. Valentina had a very close fight last time out. Normally she dominates her opponent, so the narrative of if she's getting too old, is she, if she's slowing down, we'll see against a boxer-focused fighter like the Grasso. And two other things I want to call out below that. You got Shafkat Rachmanov in the, the feature bout of the night. He might be the best prospect in the whole sport. Um, he's been dominant in all the fights he's had, and he's going up uh, against Jeff Neal, who's a very game, good, strong boxing, uh, welterweight prospect. I expect Shafkat to run through him, but... We'll see. He's probably one or two fights away, maybe from fighting for a title, if he, if he has a good showing this weekend. 
And then speaking of prospects, they have maybe the biggest prospect they've had in quite a long time in Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel is essentially the most credentialed wrestler they've had outside of the Olympians they've had in the sport um, in a very long time. He's multiple-time Division I NCAA wrestling champion, and he's 3-0 and as a pro. He's beating everybody in, like, 30 seconds, basically, run through them all, and he's opening up the main card uh, in his UFC debut, um, and that's, everyone's really excited about to see what he'll do. So that should be a quick fight if, if all goes well for him. But really cool card, all up and down. But the main event, John Jones, three years in the waiting. He's the guy that got me into the MMA, got me into UFC. So I'm really excited to, to watch him move up to heavyweight and make his return. Uh, with all those prospects you mentioned, is there a Victor Wembab? Victor Wembayamaya, uh, um, you know, some kind of analogy there uh, for those uh, 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 basketball fans. He's the, he's he's the, he's this guy from I believe France, right? Yep. Yeah, who's who's like the the guy for the NBA draft next year? Um, who like people have been seeing in whether it's foreign games, whether it's, you know, country ride or force his club team. And he's become like, like the comparison across different sports. So for those two great prospects, are they Victor level? Yeah. His last name is pronounced Webanyama, by the way. Sorry, um, I apologize. I, I will have that down within five years of him in the NBA. There you go. Yeah, and for those who don't know, I've never seen him play. He's seven foot five. He's basically Rudy Gobert meets Dirk Nowitzki. Um, he's incredible. He can. He's, I saw him block a shot the other day without even jumping. He just slotted out of the way. Um, but uh, Bo Nickel is, is is up there. He's one of the most credential prospects, highest highest tatter prospects. Uh, really, since I've been watching the sport the last three to three three plus years, three to five years or so. Uh, where I've been watching the sport heavily. He's the highest kind of prospect I've seen in that, in that time span. So he's, he's up there as a generational level prospect for sure. Good stuff. Well, Jordan Brickman, thank you as always for coming on, teeing it up. A lot to digest. And before we know it, we'll be talking about pitch clocks and larger bases and shifts and baseball season will be here. That's right. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. You got it. And thank you all out there for listening to this edition of, of uh, Teeing Up with Jeremy Shelley. Enjoy.